Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. To get the Crime Writers on After Show right now, go to patreon.com slash partners in crime media. I'm Rebecca Lavoy, and this is Crime Writers On. Crime Writers On is the original true crime review podcast that digs into true crime, pop culture, other podcasts. And on this episode, a newspaper reporter spots a pattern in a string of murders. Is one person responsible for 13 deaths? Kira Knightley tries to solve the case in the new movie, Boston Strangler. Joining me to get that done and more is true crime author, TV journalist, host of These Are Their Stories podcast, my husband and love of my life, Kevin Flynn. Hello, Kevin. Hello, Rebecca. Also with us is private investigator, certified pet detective, resident cat lady, and author of The Final Curtain, Lara Bricker. Hello, Lara. Hey, Rebecca. And finally, what? What? I I was trying to sound energetic there. Hey, Rebecca. (laughs) (laughs) And finally, our captain of all things cynical, author of the City Trilogy of Novels, host of Strange Arrivals, our Patreon Deep Dive Book Club podcast host, and future cameo star, Toby Ball. Hello, Toby. Hello, Rebecca. And uh, can I ask a question? Sure. Kevin. Yeah. What's your big news this week? My big news this week? Yes, you got big news. Oh, my past big news. Oh, right, right, right. Well, I got patched. Yes. That means that I got my patch to be an umpire. Wait, there's a song for that. What? Because now I'm patched. It's like the Springsteen song. Is it? Okay. (laughs) If you say so. (laughs) Oh, my God. I thought you just said that you weren't, like, with it enough for the uh, (laughs) the jokes. Ooh, yeah. Well, thanks for pointing that out, Toby. Yeah, so I finished my two-year apprenticeship, and uh, I am now officially an umpire, and I get to wear the patch. But I will say that I did buy the shirt with the patch from the beginning. Kind of by accident. I wasn't supposed to wear it. It's like, you know, you don't want to be impersonating an officer, right? Yep. So, but I had the badge. And now that I have the patch, it's great because they can dramatically rip it off my shirt if Mm. I dishonor them. And now he's patched. (laughs) Sorry, I brought that up. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, It's going to happen every time, every single time. You have a theme song and everything. Yeah. Well, I'm getting ready for my season, so. It just means more time to listen to podcasts while I'm driving to fields. Now that we know that Brumley can literally do any song, like, and just, like, make really cool renditions of them, I'm mm-hmm. going to have him do that song for you. Yeah, well, our listener, Jeff Brumley, actually, I don't know how many people saw this on the interwebs, but Jeff did a version of the theme song from Bone Valley. Yes. Which was originally written and performed by Leo Schofield. Correct. So he mixed, I think he's got Leo's guitar solo. Yes. And yeah, it's really great. So look it up. 
Yes, and it's a moody video of Jeff walking through the woods next to a chain link fence and stuff. Yeah, it's like, what kind of neighborhood is that, Jeff? <laughs> a moody neighborhood. Is that near your house or did you drive to it? I can't wait to see Jeff's version of Patched. <laughs> Jesus <laughs> Christ. It's going to be incredible. It's going to be baseball scenery. He's going to mix in Patty Skialfa's like, background vocals to that. It's going to be incredible. Is it the song really called Patch? No, it's called it's, what is it's the song? called Trapped. <laughs> Trapped. Okay. You don't know your Bruce Springsteen songs, do you? I don't. <laughs> you knew it, right, Toby and Lara? Oh yeah. <laughs> okay. I'd probably recognize it if someone else sang it. I, that's literally <laughs> how the chorus goes. And now I'm trapped. Except without patched. It's literally one note. Oh, yeah. It's a great song. We're going to have a fight. It's later. a well, the, great I'm going to look it up too. on the iTunes. Store. What's it called again? What's it called? Patch? It's called Trapped. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ. It's, it's a called- fucking really good Springsteen tune. Not that I'm like a, like, you know, I do actually, I am a Springsteen fan, but I'm not like a, you know, what, like a Springsteen fan. Like, I'm not like one of the people who like went to the Broadway show and paid like five grand for tickets or anything. (laughs) But like, it is one of my favorite Springsteen tunes. And it's called Patched. (laughs) It's called Patched. (laughs) (laughs) It is now. It is now. Okay, so Kevin, this is obviously a Monday's fine program. Yes, like I said, I was really proud of myself. uh, (laughs) Having accomplished something so difficult. I'm so proud of you too. Yeah, okay. What's funny is that when you started this whole journey, you literally thought you were just going to be some volunteer at the park. I thought I I could borrow somebody's mask and the big pillow you hold in front of you. I thought I'd just borrow that from someone. I remember you literally walked into my, like, we were having our kitchen renovated at the time. So we were both working like in, the, in like that one area that was sealed off with plastic. Mm-hmm. And you were like, I think I'm a, I want to do like, I want to be like a high school baseball umpire. And I was like, all right, that seems okay. No, that's not how it went down. I said, I think I want to do Little League. But, <laughs> look, I don't know about you guys, but I took a boating course in like one afternoon and now I can sail to Portugal. I thought this would be great. I'll go in Except for a weekend. You've literally never captained a boat, but you literally have your boat. That's license. not the point. <laughs> <laughs> Keep up with me. In New Hampshire, you do not even have to know how to drive a boat to get your boating license. It's incredible. Yeah, it's but you really have to know something. all kinds of like weird shit though about like if you're going up river and you get to a triangle, do you stay left or right? I'm like, I don't fucking well, it know. It depends if you're going on a east lake. or I think that's the name south. of that yeah. song. It's not coming up anywhere. Patch? It is the name of the song. It is the name Trapped. of the song. Yeah, it is. What is it? Trapped. <laughs> You'll be fine. Like when you trap somebody, they are trapped. Yes, it's fine. It's fine. Uh. <laughs> Toby and I are very confident about this. So congratulations, Kevin. I'm very proud of you. Thank you very much, guys. You've Appreciate it. yelled at by coaches, screamed at by parents, mm-hmm. uh, abused by children. Cussed out by a seven-year-old kid. <laughs> but with the authority to like ask any of them to leave if they go too far. Yeah. They're going to pay attention now because I got a patch. It's a rare, it's a rare thing in life. It's a rare That's thing right. in life. Hey, I tell them that when I'm playing, when I'm umpiring baseball, it's the only time in my life where I'm right 100% of the time. That's right. <laughs> I That's said, right. not at home. Definitely not at home. That's right. And when, what do you say uh, to the coaches when you say that you don't like the call or whatever? It's like a whole- hey, you didn't like that last call. You're not going to like the next one. <laughs> <Yeah>! <laughs> okay, so Kevin... This is Monday's Fine Podcast. Yes. What is happening on Thursday's show? On Thursday, we're going to be talking about the podcast from CBC Podcasts and the BBC World Service. It's called Love, Janessa. Okay, I'm looking forward to listening to that one and talking about it. 
Just kidding. I've already listened to it. I'm looking forward to talking about it. I think it's time for us after all this chit chat uh, to get started with the topic of today's podcast. You right, guys ready to go? Let's do it. Three women were strangled over the last two weeks. I don't see the interest. These are nobodies. Who do you think our readers are? And that's just it. Why would anybody go around killing three nobody women? Loretta McLaughlin struggles for respect in the 1960s male-dominated newsroom at the Record American. But she finds a pattern in different Boston-area murders. Women choked in their homes, their stockings tied around their necks in a bow. I just want to ask about the stockings around her neck. Did you see if they were tied in a single or a double hitch knot? There's no way I could tell by looking. Did it look decorative? In a real sick kind of way. Yeah. Teamed with reporter Jean Cole, the women lead the hunt for the killer they dub the Boston Strangler. The pair find their safety threatened as suspects move in and out of the frame and the cops unable to make an arrest. Oh, have you got any leads? Off the record. Off the record? More than we can handle. Are you close to making an arrest? These people have no idea what they're up against. What people? The whole department, as far as I'm concerned. Oscar nominee Keira Knightley stars in Boston Strangler from 20th Century Studios, streaming on Hulu. McLaughlin fights the sexism of the police and fellow reporters, all while seeking the culprit. Was the man arrested for the crimes responsible for all 13 deaths? Or do the changing methods and victims indicate more than one man was the Boston Strangler? Spoiler alert, we are going to be talking about plot points from Boston Strangler. So if you want to remain spoiler free, go to the estimated time code in our show notes to hear our thumbs up or thumbs down reviews. Lara Bricker, we like a journalism movie, right? I love a journalism movie, and I especially love a journalism movie when the protagonists are female journalists, as they're in this Um I just lady journalist, lady journalist. Um, <laughs> and what I loved, I mean, this was an era when I feel like lady journalists were really not taken seriously, as we see right off the bat. Where, Maybe it's because you call them lady journalists. <laughs> well, anyway, so these women journalists, I mean, look at, OK, the opening scene, she's like, you know, Kara Knightley's character is being asked to review a freaking toaster. This is what they're doing for journalism. So I was just ecstatic. It's like any anytime you can watch a reporter in action in a movie, uh, obviously I'm partial because this is something that I've done and I can relate to it. And watching her advocating for herself and getting her like little reporter antennae up, like there's something going on here and I want to write about it. Let me profile the victims. See if there's any connection. Kid, you're not covering a homicide. Why not? Because you don't have any experience covering homicides. How am I supposed to get any experience if you won't give me a shot? No. Uh, July Johnson there, which I always call him that because he was in Lonesome Dove. Uh, Who's the editor in this movie? Chris uh, Cooper? Yes. Yeah, Chris Cooper, who always to me reminds me of July Johnson in, in Lonesome Dove, which was the first role I saw him in. You know, he's like, oh, you know, you're not little ladies don't do that or whatever. And she's like, you're not giving me a chance to do it. And so, you you, you know, you have somebody that you can root for in this. And, uh, you know, I think one of my takeaways at the end is I, I would have liked to actually just see her story um, more so than the Boston Strangler story, because that to me was more I, I don't want to diminish people being murdered. But that to me was a more compelling narrative. 
first movie I ever saw Chris Cooper in, by the way, was October Sky, which I believe was Jake Gyllenhaal's first film. Mm-hmm. Uh, really great film. Kevin? Yeah, I actually think that um, there wasn't actually a lot of attention on the killer, the Boston Strangler. As far as point of view, we don't actually see a lot of the 13 murders, right? We see a couple of things. We see at one point some crime scene photos. But, you know, we see a murder or two. We see a murder or two. We don't see a uh, systematic. It's not, uh, it's not like a David Fincher film with lots of stuff. It isn't like we have stuff. to see yeah. all Baker's dozen of them in vivid detail. We really do maintain the point of view of Kira Knightley's character and these two uh, partner reporters here. So it's, probably, it's still primarily from their point of view. And they are trying to chase down the story, but we're not getting an awful lot of overly gratuitous violence. You like the performances, though, right, Kevin? Oh, I do like the performances. I like Kira Knightley an awful lot. Uh, Carrie Coon, I believe, is the name of the actress who's doing uh, Jean Cole. You know, I think her character is a little uh, steelier. She's you know, comes off as the seasoned reporter. But I think in general, it's a very strong feminist perspective on these roles. I mean, uh, Kira Knightley's character you know, she's strong and strong-willed, but we also kind of realize how vulnerable she is, how she's put herself kind of in a dangerous situation. And uh, that creates, I think, some good tension. I don't think she's put herself in a dangerous situation. Well, when she walked into Daniel Marsh's house? Well, yes. that Daniel Marsh is scary as fuck, but that's, that's the a conversation the, for a second yeah, okay. from now. Um, so, Toby, you actually noticed something that I noticed also, which at the scenes in this film, speaking of Fincher, um, I actually, I mean, I compare movies like this all the time to Zodiac. Because, you know, Zodiac is another journalism film about somebody on the tail of somebody murdering people. And one of the things that's wonderful about Zodiac, which is my favorite Fincher film, is the sort of extended length of a lot of the scenes. And you noted, as I did, that the scenes in this film are very short. (laughs) What do you think of that stylistic choice? Uh, I think it's poor. Mm. Uh, I I really I I didn't like this at all. Um, and, and one of the reasons was the whole thing just feels so rushed. Like, it feels like maybe they're getting ready to do like a six part series and somebody's like, yeah, that's not going to happen. So like, well, let's get in all the plot points that we wanted in six episodes. We'll try and cram it into two hours. You know, this, this should be suspenseful. Uh, you should end up feeling like, you know, the two leads, but like, I didn't feel like I knew the two main characters, I mean, they kind of stand in for like determined sort of feminist, like we're not, we're not going to take a step backwards reporters, but you don't really know anything about their personalities or like what it would be like to hang out with them or anything like that. And then the scenes, like this could be very suspenseful, but the scenes are so short. And you just mentioned the one where Kira Knightley goes to uh, the former boyfriend of this woman who was attacked And he lives in this like creepy basement apartment. And I don't even really know how to describe it. It's like a dungeon, but he keeps trying to lure her further and further in. And she finally is like, no, I'm not going. And she takes off. But the whole thing takes about 30 seconds. It's just back here. We can talk just back here. I just remembered that I've got another appointment. I'm going to have to... um Like the way to do that is to have it take, you know, a couple of minutes or something so you can build up the suspense, you can build up the the, the fear, 
uh, the sense of danger, but it just happens so fast. It's like, oh, this guy's kind of creepy. Oh, well, I guess she's out of there. Let's go on to the next scene. Is They were trying to get way, way too much done in a short period of time. And so nothing really landed. There's actually a parallel scene in the reason that I thought of that in Zodiac where Mark Ruffalo goes to somebody's house, the guy with all the slides and the, the sort of slideshow room. And it is creepy and scary as hell, even though he ends up like not being the Zodiac where the guy's like super sketch. Uh, and Kevin, you also thought that, that that scene had some suspense potential, right? Oh, yeah. I was waiting for him to ask her to put the lotion on or otherwise she'll get the hose. Yeah. Yeah. So the one character that I really liked, Laura Bricker, was Detective Conley, played by Alessandro Nivola, who actually followed me on Twitter this week after I oh. uh, after I tweeted about his performance. I thought he was super good in this. I, I'd like him to follow me on Twitter. Oh, hey. <laughs> and I did. I really did like I think his was one of my favorite performances in the film because I think, you know, uh, the cop source performance. But then also I, I, I just sometimes an actor just like pops in like the small time they have on the screen. I don't think you understand what I'm dealing with here. I'm getting a hundred tips a day. I got thousands of sex offenders to screen. Now the commissioner just ordered a raid on every gay bar in the city. I'm doing all I can, but I'm not playing with a full deck. But you actually sent me a note about sort of a cop source and it reminded me of Piper Green in your series of books and her cop source, not that there's any romantic tension between <laughs> Karen Knightley's character and him, yeah. but I've always wondered for you whether or not you had a cop source when you were a local reporter. I, I had a bunch of cop sources when I was a local reporter. And so, I mean, I think that's one of the things that is sort of thrilling when you are a reporter is I mean, thrilling. I don't know, but, but it is because it's exciting to be on the police beat and, to be trying to get the scoop on stories. And then when you get a police source that trusts you and will feed you information and, and you, you do sort of share information. That's, that's how it works. It's like a quid pro quo. I give you some information, you give me some information. And I think one of the most exciting cop source stories I had was I was sitting at my desk and I was a brand new reporter and I got this phone call one morning and they just said, be at this place at this time there's something going on dog fighting. And I'm like, what? And so photographer and I went out to this home out in Newton, New Hampshire, in this neighborhood of what I call McMansions, as a bust was taking place on a man who was operating an illegal pit bull fighting ring out in this Quonset out behind his McMansion. So when you're looking at reporting the news and reporting the news that's happening and reporting the authentic news, there is something to be said for that sort of age old dynamic between reporter and police officer and, you know, how that leads to if you're good at your job and cultivating your sources, getting really good stories. And so I loved watching Kira Knightley's character in these different sort of uh, stages of her relationship with her police source, you know you know, at the end when he quits and she like goes to his apartment and he's just like, I'm all, I'm all done. And and she's not really ready to give up on this yet, but he's, he's pretty much maxed out. Um, that to me, so like what Toby was saying, like, I think a lot of this felt very one dimensional in terms of the character development to me. But for me, what I was gravitating to was this type of relationship, because that's something I personally experienced. I'm like, oh, that, that rings true to me. But there were other parts where I felt like I didn't really know any of the characters on more than a superficial level. 
Well, if you want to go deeper than a superficial level, you need to listen to the business section. Oh, wow. What a transition, Kevin. I don't even know if that makes sense, but I was just kind of (laughs) taken off from that. Uh, Right now on our Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash partners in crime media. You'll get the crime writers on after show. Yay! This week, we're going to be talking to Laura Bricker about... Exeter Lit Fest. Mm. It's going to be this Saturday. So, uh, Laura. It's going to be lit. It's going to be lit. I don't. Is that what the young kids are saying these days? It's it's It's, lit. We also, by the way, we have to talk about this like wild local story that's going on and take a poll of everybody in the world and see if they think it's as important as a certain local legislator thinks it is. I'm very okay, curious. Yeah. I'm very, very curious. Well, all the mystery in that one, we'll, uh, we'll see what comes of that. Listen, he well, claimed that everyone in the world thinks it's very important. I'm just curious to know if all of our listeners on Patreon around the world think it's as important as this guy thinks Spoiler it is. alert, you don't. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I'm, pre- I'm pretty well, sure I don't. I don't even know what you're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> also for patrons, you, you can watch us for our live recording of our next Crime Writers On episode. It's happening this Wednesday, 8 p.m. Eastern time. We are going to be talking about the podcast and it's called The No Good, Terribly Kind, Wonderful Lives and Tragic Deaths of Barry and Honey Sherman. Mm. So just join us. You get to watch us do our thing. We're even going to have an online poll so you can give your thumbs up, thumbs down. Hopefully you'll be able to join us for that. Some of the other things we have on uh, the Patreon, we've got Laura's Leave It to Bricker podcast, Meredith podcast, and the latest episode of Toby's Deep Dive Book Club podcast. Toby, last time you talked about the book Tell Me Everything and your guest work, Kimberly from Date with Dateline, Alex Segura, and People Magazine book editor, Kate Tuttle. This seems to be like the latest in a series of books where it's like part true crime, part memoir. And you have kind of read and talked about some mediocre ones, but you think this was one of the better ones that pulled that off. Yeah, you know, it's uh, it's about uh, a woman who's a defense investigator, not oh. unlike our own Laura Bricker, um, who's in a sort of, she anonymizes it, but it's Boulder, Colorado, and she's, she's investigating a, a sexual assault that may have been committed by a number of members of the, of the football team there. She weaves her story in in a way that kind of makes sense. And there's there's a catharsis that kind of makes sense. Uh, whereas there are other ones where it's sort of like, I'm investigating this, but I've also want to tell you about my life, which doesn't have a whole lot of connection. So um, anyway, yeah, it's a, it's a good book. Uh, I think we all liked it. And then the discussion's really interesting. Okay, yeah, that's great. Lastly, just want to suggest that you sign up for our free newsletter. Go to crimewriterson.com. Put in your email address every Thursday. We get you an update. You can see things like photo of the cat of the week and some new crime writers on merch and behind C- the scenes. CWOBTS. People don't. That's behind the scenes. People know BTS is. You're making it sound like a K-pop band. Ah, well, it's really cool, is what it is. Yeah. So, so do that. And thus ends. Thus ends the business section. I'm gonna go ahead and fade that music out right now. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio, and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. 
So, Toby, you had some issues with the script in this film. What were your issues with the script? I have a lot of issues with the script. Uh, So it seemed as though everybody acts almost exactly the way you would expect them to act. It's like they've taken all these sort of cliches from this kind of movie and sort of put them all together. So there's nothing that's really surprising, um, even down to just the way people talk to each other. And I couldn't tell if they were trying to be like kind of tongue in cheek about some of this stuff, but it certainly didn't seem that way. But there's like the editor, Chris Cooper, whenever uh, Kira Knightley, like w- one of her things hits the front page, he's like, nice work, kid. He says it like all the time. It's like fr- what you would say to like what Clark Kent would say to Lois Lane or something. Jimmy Olsen. Um, <laughs> Jimmy Olsen, exactly. And, then, you know, there's another time when Kira Knightley goes all the way out to Michigan and she's like kind of sweet talks this cop and letting her look at this file. And he puts it on her desk. It's like, you got 20 minutes. It's like, well, yeah, that's stuff that people say, but why the why does she only have 20 minutes? She drove all the way out here and you're just going to let her look for 20 minutes for no real reason. There's a scene where Kara Knightley makes like eye contact with a cop who's walking out of a police station. You've seen it a zillion times. So I just, I just felt that, and again, some of this may have to do with, I, I feel like they just had to chop away a lot of stuff. But as far as I could tell, there's hardly any characterization Everybody acted the way you would expect them to. It's a lot of cliches. The dialogue is not good. There was one, I had to write this down, where at at one point somebody says, The usual rules don't apply. There's no motive. And then he takes off without leaving a shred of evidence. Guy's as careful as he is deranged. The guy's as careful as he is deranged. Like, what the, nobody fucking says shit like that. So, anyway... I, Toby, I just you're it, as I, careful as you are deranged. Yeah. Yes, but you wouldn't say it in quite those ways. You'd be like, that guy's fucked up, but he takes care of stuff. <laughs> um, so anyway, I, I just, you know, again, I don't know what the process was to get the script to the part where they filmed it. But by the time it got there, it just seems, it seems very, very generic. Uh, there's nothing that kind of stood out or was surprising or particularly suspenseful or insightful or anything. It's just kind of like a by-the-numbers uh, story. Kevin, do you think they brought enough Boston to this Boston Strangler story? No Boston accents? Hmm. Swing like for the fence. <laughs> there were a couple, yeah, a couple of the smaller players, like people that they were interviewing. People from the street in the town, they had it. But uh, I don't know. It's funny because... Okay, I will just say, say something. And take this with the spirit with which I mean it. Yeah. I love the Boston accent, but they don't use it in film because it sounds so caricature-ish. It, it, yeah. it really does. It really, really does. To this day, even when I meet real people and they have like a really thick Boston accent, I always want to be like, you're putting that on, right? <laughs> you're totally putting that on. Uh, but I the think- The Pennsylvania accent, like that that whole like the, the Philadelphia Pittsburgh one, the, one yeah. you know, the one that both, uh, yeah. in uh, Mayor of Easttown, that's difficult to pull off. And you would think, I th- would think that, you know, if you can do a Brooklyn, New York kind of accent, you're just, you're just a few things away from sort of that Boston yeah, main accent. Yeah, it's not accent. that far off. But a lot of times in the movies when they mess it up, it comes out really, really bad. That's like, true. You know, like, <laughs> like, uh, uh, like in that podcast. No, like in the, the Departed, where, Departed. 
where Alec Baldwin tries to do it and it just, it comes off really bad. So, I mean, you know, in a way. Where he sounds like Alec Baldwin's wife trying to pretend she's Spanish. Exactly. gaming Boston. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So we find it funny and, but, you know, I'm sure that there are people who hear someone you do a Southern accent and they're like, that's Texas, that's not South Carolina, you know, and they get fussy like that. But I would have gone, you know, for a little more like, hey, hey, why don't you go meet the guy? He's in, uh, he's in Malden. <laughs> you could see him in Medford? He's in Medford. Malden. Malden, Medford, Rivia. Newton. He's in Hadley. (laughs) South Hadley. Hadley Falls. Belchertown. Melrose. Belchertown. Belchertown's out on the Mass Pike. That's not Boston. Meet him by the Quabbin Reservoir. (laughs) (laughs) Laura, you know what's funny to me is that, like, you know, I've been in New England since, like, 1993. And, you know, the Boston Strangler case, like, do people talk about it? Because I don't really feel like they do. You know, I, I don't. And that's that's and one of the things I was thinking about this is like, I feel like this was an effort to sort of highlight the Boston Strangler case. Like I, I hear about it. You know, you see it occasionally. There'll be something in the Boston media. But they talk about the Bulger case. There's other they talk about the, yeah. the uh, you know, the the, um, the the Isabel Stewart Gardner case. But it was surprising to me. I just want to say this because like, Watching this story, we listened to the podcast a few years ago, but watching this movie and finding out that like, you know, these two women, you know, spoiler alert, we said that already, but like, you know, the fact that I already knew DeSalvo was not considered like anymore. And I always knew it was sort of mainstream theory, theory that he's probably not like the main Boston Strangler. But um, the idea that there's these multiple guys, I'm like, well, that's weird. But then I looked it up and I'm like, that's actually sort of a main, that's not a fringe thing. Like a lot of people think that. Um, but I feel like that's not a thing people talk about or know about. No, no. And <laughs> right? I, no, I don't. And I have to say, and I'm going to go back to what I said in the beginning is like, I, yeah, it's Boston. We live, you know, 45 minutes out of Boston. This is sort of our local media news coverage area. So these are the cases we follow. But honestly, we listened to a podcast about this a few years ago. Occasionally I see something in the paper. I was still much more interested in the story of Loretta, uh, you know, her career, um, where she went from, like, I was like just interested in seeing a woman who broke into journalism at the time that she did fighting all of these stereotypes, like freaking toaster reviews to break this case and what happened to her. Yeah. We get the little thing at the end. It's like, Oh, she went to work at the Boston Globe and here's her picture. I'm like, no, I want to know her life story. Like how we like hidden figures, like the story of the women, like mathematician people who are doing all the stuff for the astronauts. Like, but then, but then that wouldn't be the Boston Strangler. Case. I know, but, but then really, that could have been in the background. That could have been one of the things she worked. I on. guess what yeah. I'm saying is like, I'm not as interested in the Boston Strangler, I guess. I'm like, eh, eh. <laughs> I don't know, maybe, then maybe then I, I guess become, this movie's not for you because unfortunately it's Boston yeah, Strangler. Maybe I've become hardened. Maybe I've become oh. totally like cal- like I'm like ah oh, whatever. One Boston Strangler, you well, see them all. It's interesting. <laughs> it's interesting you should say that because like the movie Spotlight, Spotlight. Um, There's some good accents there. Does a good job taking their journalism around you know the pre sex abuse scandal. And by the way, I don't think Spotlight is as good a movie as it was um, like praised to be. I mean, it was an Academy Award nominee and all that stuff. And I actually think it was it was a good movie. I don't think it was like you know, the world's best movie. Great performances. I love Mark Ruffalo. Again, another great Mark Ruffalo film. Um, but I do think that what's good about that movie is it takes the universe beyond 
the pre-sex abuse case. It shows the journalism. It shows them working as a team. It shows how their team is sort of like isolated within the newsroom. It shows how, you know, the interiority and like exterior lives. And it shows them as journalists beyond this, that one story, right? And I, I think, I do think that's missing here. Like This is just through the lens of this one thing. Um, what were you going to say, Toby? I guess a couple things. One is, is because it doesn't, like they do, they play at the sexism thing and how patronizing people are and how they're denied things. But you don't really see them struggle a whole lot against it. Like right. it really just takes, it's really, really quick when she's like, it takes her like two minutes to talk him into like letting her do it. Like the big thing is like, oh, I'll do it on my own time. Oh, in that case, then go right ahead. <laughs> and then it just as far as the, this Boston Strangler, him or themselves, like there's nothing interesting about him that you see in this entire movie, right? I mean, it's just like, you don't, it's just like you meet his brother. There's like a couple of quick conversations, but like, it doesn't feel like the case, the case doesn't really feel that urgent, I guess. And yeah. Like even when you when he's when he's captured, it's like okay, so it's just this guy, and quite honestly, like I did the same thing where I was like, wow, did they really think that there was more than one? I looked it up. Like that to me is kind of an interesting story. Is like these guys ended up in the same place in Bridgewater Hospital and talked, and like if that if that was like more of the story, and again, if this had been like a six part miniseries, I think you would have had time to get into that. But I, you know, I think just keeping it this short, they had to keep it super, super tight to get all these plot points they wanted to get in. And it, and it just, you never got very deep into anything. Well, and the other thing, Toby, I feel like, like there was this very noir feel to the lighting and the cinematography in that. But to me, that had sort of the wrong effect on me. Like what you're talking about is like that created like a lack of suspense to me because it was just sort of like dulled, the suspense it was like it was dark it was mysterious but i didn't feel a lot of like oh my god what's gonna happen next as i was watching i'm like that's kind of cool kind of dark you know they, they did that th so uh and i will then i will stop getting <laughs> <laughs> but, Thumbs up again, for Toby. Yeah. but there's like a, a a second thing like there's this scene that just really doesn't mean anything other than it could have been sensible that it, they didn't make it that way which is when her husband's gone, Karen Ali's husband's gone, and she hears like a thud at the door, and she comes down with the baseball bat, and then she hears somebody in the back door, and she goes back there, and then she comes back, and then, you know, of course, it's her kid walking around the night, and there's an envelope. But again, it just happens so fast that it's not really that suspenseful. By the time you're like, oh, shit, what's going on here? It's like, oh, well, the danger's passed, and oh, by the way, here's an envelope that's kind of creepy. Right. <laughs> No, you're totally right. And then she gets the breathing phone calls. It happens twice in one night. And the next morning, the reporter's like, oh, you got the breathing phone calls? Yeah. It's not It's not like we got multiple instances of her getting them. So we got a sense that it was actually real. You know what I mean? It's just like, oh, yeah. you're right. Everything. Toby, you're making. I was I was not like I was actually liking this movie a little bit before Sorry. you were talking me out. It's OK. It's fine. I'm still going to I still have my own opinion. So, Kevin, are you willing to talk about your own tangential personal connection to a tiny little bit of this movie? Oh, yeah. Thanks for <laughs> bringing up. So, you know, when they're doing rolling all the credits, they end up uh, showing on the screen a uh, photo of the real uh, Albert Salvo, who was arrested and accused of being the Boston Strangler. And it's a black and white photo. He's getting 
pulled out of a car and he's standing next to a prison guard. And that prison guard is uh, Lily's great grandfather. So oh. my my ex-wife's uh, grandfather, uh, Raymond Burns. And uh, he, you know, he actually always have these really great stories about because he worked at uh, Walpole, which was the, the state prison. So he knew guys like from the Brinks heist and, you know, other sort of colorful, you know, big name criminals. And so he would would talk about them. But remember, that, that was the thing that he he was in this famous photograph with the Boston Strangler. I'd actually never seen it. And then I was like, oh, that's that. So Kevin paused and he was like, that's Patty's grandfather. Right there. Yeah. And I was like, like, Dexter's, you got to go see this or just skip to the end. Toby would tell you, just skip to the end <laughs> so you can just see that. I was like, I'm so glad that one of your like your uh, in-law family photos got to appear in this film. Lily's legacy is yeah. in this film. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. All right, let's do what we do. Let's let our listeners know, should they check out Boston Strangler? It is a movie streaming on Hulu. Laura, what do you think? Thumbs up or thumbs down for Boston Strangler? Uh, I hate going first sometimes. Um, you always go first. I always go first, but this is like, so this- We're on episode um, like 425. <laughs> I know. Uh, so I, I'm not sure. So I'm, I'm going to go thumbs sideways on this, but I'm leaning towards thumbs down. I didn't love this and I'm pissed that I didn't love it because I love a story of a badass female journalist. We have two badass female journalists in this and this is their story of breaking this case. They had, you know, Kira Knightley. She's great, but something about this just really fell flat for me. And I was really bummed about that because I'm like, it's Boston. I love a local case. I want to hear about a local case. They've got this like, you know, great cinematography. It's like dark and mysterioso, but there was just something that just felt very one dimensional about this. And I think, you know, it was a two hour movie, a hundred, uh, actually one hour and 53 minutes. And part of going to a shorter window is we need to decide who's the story here. And I think this covered like all sorts of different parts of the story. But as a result, I didn't really feel connected to somebody that I was really following along with in the story because it was hitting the highlights of everybody that was involved. Um, so I'm going to go thumb sideways, leaning down. So I really loved, you know, Kira Knightley, who's breaking out of this stereotypical role of what she's supposed to be doing. And she meets this Jean Cole, uh, played by Carrie Coon, who's an older reporter, who the first scene we see her is amazing. She's like, dressed as a nurse because she's been undercover exposing stuff. And I'm like, these are the people I want to root for. But it just sort of fell flat for me. So, it, you know, I can't give it a total thumbs down, but I'm going to go thumbs sideways. Toby Ball, your review of Boston Strangler on Hulu. Thumbs up or thumbs down? Well, I'm not a thumbs up. Um, I, I've, so it feels like this movie, like there's a whole bunch of plot points they wanted to tick off. And I think there were like a six part 
series worth of plot points that they try to jam into two hours. And subsequently, there's just, there's nothing to kind of hold on to. Even like the main characters, like I don't really feel like you get a sense of who they are. They're sort of symbols. I, I thought the writing, a lot of the writing was cliched. And there's a lot of kind of shortcut stuff that you've seen a, a zillion times before in other movies and shows. So you know how to interpret it. And I think it allows them to do kind of a shorthand to kind of move things along. Uh, the scenes are really short, so they don't really build up much suspense. I, I was surprised by how sort of lacking in the things that like sort of a prestige type film or, or television series. It, it just felt like it lacked that other than I'll say having really, really good actors who are doing their best with what seem to be fairly poorly written roles. So anyway, that's a long way of saying I'm a thumbs down. Kevin Flynn. I'm thumbs up. I didn't have the same problems with it that everybody else seemed to have. Some of you think it was too short. Some of you think it was too long. I thought like Goldilocks, it was just right. I, I, I will agree that some of the personal stuff seems pretty predictable. If you say women in the newsroom and it's 1962, you can kind of imagine like where those personal stories go. But I thought it was strongest when it kind of dug into the actual case and followed that. I think it's a great feminist take. However, we're following this crime or these crimes from the view of uh, Kira Knightley's character, a female uh, reporter. Overall, I thought it was pretty good. Great feminist take for me. And it really dug into uh, a case that, uh, you know, should be I mean, it's not that it's not well known, but some of the new details and the new thoughts about what actually happened. Uh, I like that part of it. So I'm going to go thumbs up. Yeah, I think it's fine. I'm giving it a thumbs up. I uh, don't like it as much as I did when I started talking to Toby about it. To be completely <laughs> honest with you. Um, he has that influence. No, no, honestly, I actually I, I didn't love it. I actually think it's like it's one of those things where and this is not a fair way to review something. I, I already pay for Hulu anyway. If I had to pay more to see this, I probably wouldn't be like, thumbs up. I'd probably be like, meh. <laughs> I mean, if you had to pay to go to the theater. Exactly, uh, right? Uh, I paid to see Zodiac in the theater, and I was like, yeah, the movie was fucking great. <laughs> um, but although I was, I was scared to death, and I every time I watch it on TV, now I have to cover my face half the time. Uh, but yeah, no, I thought it was fine. Not great, not wonderful, but serviceable. Like for like a two-hour movie, if you want to see some good performances and like get a little like journalism action in. It's not offensive. Um, it's just okay. I can't say it's bad. Um, I didn't love it, but I, I kind of liked it enough to give it a mild thumbs up. So that's where I am with it. Mild thumbs up. And uh, just know that now I, Toby, you know, you may be like, what a drag. If you, I had five more minutes with you, I could have been into like some sideways thumbs down range, but you didn't get, you didn't have me for long enough. So th thumbs up for me for the Boston Strangler. Toby, you didn't last long enough to satisfy a woman. <laughs> I have a lot Whoa. to live up to, Kevin. <laughs> and now it's time for my favorite part of the podcast, a little something I like to call the crime of crime the week. Crime of the week. Officials in New Jersey have expelled a high school student when they found out she was actually a 29-year-old woman. Hejong Shin has pleaded not guilty to charges of falsifying her birth certificate to enroll in New Brunswick High. Her lawyer says she did so to relive the kinds of friendships and sense of security she felt during her high school experience. 
For us, that experience would include cutting remarks from queen bees and maybe even swirlies in the toilet. But everyone's mileage may vary. Shin had been working on her master's degree at Rutgers, then divorced and fell into debt when she decided the cure for her ills would be to join the Zoomers and slide into trig or European history. The school agrees Shin did not have any criminal intentions nor posed a threat to students or staff. She's asked the judge to send her to a diversion program for first-time offenders. It's like what teenagers go to, right? Exactly. Yeah, I guess she is like a teenager. So, panel, it wasn't always the greatest experience, and we couldn't pass for high school students anymore and how. But if you could, what would you actually enjoy about high school today? Laura Bricker, what do you think? Uh, skipping first period and going out in the culvert and smoking weed. Wow. <laughs> Toby Ball, you can still do that, Laura. Look at Toby's yeah. face. That was a fun surprise. Toby, Laura, by the way, you're an adult. No one's stopping you from doing those things. No, but like, how nice was it to skip school or leave early? I, I didn't like... do that shit in school. I was I was such a goody too. Oh, I, w- I skipped all sorts of school. I skipped, it as, I skipped when I was a senior, not going to lie. Toby Ball, what would you enjoy about high school if you could go back at as you now today. As me now today. Well, Ragers in the Woods, of course. Oh, yeah. what about you, Kevin? Uh, well, it would be uh, bragging about all the sex I've had. Oh. <laughs> yeah, guys. Like the time you threw up on that girl in the car. Oh, jeez. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Greatest Kevin Flynn story in history. Kevin, you got to tell that at some live show sometimes people can hear it. I, you can hear it on a Patreon episode, but I... Uh, it's the good. best. Maybe when we do a Crime yeah. Writers on live taping on Patreon, you can tell that story for everyone. Yeah, go video. back. It's called it's it's called Paradise by the Dashboard Fright. It's a search that that title. That's the after show. It's, it's definitely a video based story, right? Yeah, I'd use yeah. puppets. Yeah, I animation. kind of I kind of would enjoy just like doing that thing where you like know all the stuff you know now. You go back to high school and just like dunk knowledge bombs like constantly on people and just like be that. Although I'd probably be like hated, right? They'd be yeah by the you. teachers too. Yeah, and they'd be like, "You look so old." What are you doing here? You look so old. Anyway, that's going to do it for us. But before we go, Lara Bricker, if people want to find you on social media and say hi, how can they find you there? They can find me at Lara Bricker. Tell you about what about you? How can folks find you online? Uh, let me quickly plug Strange Arrivals. Yeah. Is, uh, it's, we're in the early stages of this season still. Uh, check it out on your podcast app, which I guess you're listening to this on. And uh, if you like it, if you can leave a, uh, a a rating or review on iTunes, that would be hugely helpful. It's called Apple Podcast, Toby. Get with the times. Oh, whatever. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and you can tweet to me about it at TobyBallNH. Kevin Flint. I'm a Kevin P. Flint. And if you want to follow me on Twitter or Instagram, you can find me at Reb Lavoy. You can also follow the show on Twitter at Crime Writers On, and I encourage you to join our incredible community in our official Crime Writers On Facebook discussion group. We also have a regular old Facebook page. Go there, but join our group. It is rad. Support the show at patreon.com slash partners in crime media. You'll get the Crime Writers On after show. You'll get married with podcasts. you get Laura Bricker's Leave It to Bricker podcast and Toby Ball's Deep Dive Book Club podcast. Our theme song was composed and performed by Ty Gibbons. Our line editor is the wonderful Livy Burdett. The executive producer of this program is Kevin Flynn. This show was recorded in the Treehouse Yoga Studio above the Mockingbird Cafe in Bay St. Louis, Mississippi Studio, otherwise known as Studio C, the closet in our New Hampshire basement, where we come to work in a bouffant, red lipstick, and we smoke like a chimney. On behalf of all the crime writers, thanks so much for listening. We will catch you later. Later. 
We need cameos. <laughs> we need to charge like five dollars. Yeah. You can pay thirty dollars for Jim Clemente to profile you on Cameo. Yeah. Yeah, he you, says I don't like you. Did you used to wet the bed? <laughs> How many lives have you saved, Rebecca? <laughs> Same as you, Jim. Did you solve the Washington sniper case? (laughs) (laughs) Neither did you, Jim. (laughs) Hey, I found a receipt that made me think that maybe he'd been in New Orleans once, and it turned out I was right. (laughs) (laughs) It's oddly specific. Oddly specific. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. America. 